If counting out-of-state license plates isn't enough to keep your kids from asking, are we there yet, on a simple road trip, what do you have to do to travel happily with them on a plane trip overseas? Hi, I'm Rick Steves. My wife and I have enjoyed a decade of wonderful trips to Europe with our kids, and if you do it right, it can be worth the extra expense and hassle. And today's guests on Travel with Rick Steves will give us advice for making it both affordable and enjoyable. Two moms will fill us in on how they turned their kids from toddlers to teenagers into well-behaved, frequent flyers. We'll start with Anya Clowers. She shares her time-tested advice for jetting around with the kids with a book and a website to help sort out your options. I find that the Europeans just value children. They really acknowledge kids' needs. And J.M. Pasquese joins us to share what she's learned from taking her kids on annual trips to Rome. Traveling with kids is how you present to them all of these terrific and wonderful things that they're going to remember forever. Let's plan a European vacation with the entire family. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. New vacation options in Latin America, plus getaways in the U.S., Europe, and the Caribbean are at aavacations.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Sure, parenting can be a challenge, but parenting at 32,000 feet, now that can be miserable. But it doesn't have to be. Later in the show, we'll find out about taking kids to Rome. But right now, we're talking to Anya Clowers. She's a registered nurse who takes her young son again and again on adventures around the country and overseas. She's written a book, Jet With Kids, and runs the website, jetwithkidsclub.com. Anya, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Now, Anya, I understand you take your son with you nearly every month on plane trips. Did you set out to be an expert on kid travel before he came along? Actually not. I was one of those that uh, said a silent prayer as the parent came on the plane with the screaming kid, please don't sit by me. And then when I became pregnant and was still determined to travel the world, I thought, ugh, I don't want to be that parent. So um, I saw a need for some research, and so I went to the experts and talked to them, uh, flight attendants, pilots, travel agents, what, what they recommend. So this book is driven by what you've learned, not only from your own experience, but by talking with these various experts. Yes, and I also saw a lot of um, kids on planes that did great, and so I talked to those parents to see. Very good. I like that idea, and the, the concept that you make very clear in your book, if there's a well-behaved kid, it's most likely because the parents or the grandparents were well-prepared. Yes, I think that's the key, preparation. Explain a little bit about that. You know, the flight is the first and last impression of many trips, and so the best planned trip can be a disaster if you're not prepared for that first part. The experience of the airport, the airplane, is quite a different experience for kids if you look at it from their level. Why are we taking our shoes off? Why are we putting my favorite blanket on this uh, belt and it's disappearing? Um, Why are mom and dad so stressed? Why is there a lot of noise? Why should I sit down and buckle up? I don't want to. So if you look at it from their standpoint, then it it becomes much easier to prepare if you Because I'm a kid. Why should I buckle up, mom? There's a great DVD out there for kids that does the whole flight experience, and it shows the little girl buckling up for safety. And kids are really a lot smarter than you think. Um, I review the safety card with my son every time. He's only three. But they're very simple-minded, and sometimes in an emergency, simple is great. So we could go swimming and we can put these seat covers (laughs) on and wear them like little floaters? Well, you know, I hope we never get to that point. But kids are really amazing, and they're very simple in how they view things. So if you're just very basic, this is why we do this. The plane, I think, going on the runway, um, why is it making so much noise? You know, it can be a really fun experience, the airport, the airplane, that type of thing. So much of it is the parent's ability to put themselves into the mindset of the child and then clarify any sort of anxiety caused by this new experience. Yes, exactly. The airplane and the airport is a great sense of entertainment for kids, and it can be part of the vacation and just as educational as the destination. What gear would you say is really smart and clever for parents to use as tools to help their kids enjoy a long flight? One of my favorite new products, it's just approved from the FAA in last August, is a one-pound harness that is the equivalent safety of a car seat. And that makes a huge difference when you're traveling, that you do not need to lug the big car seat along, Um, especially when going to Europe. We just returned from Europe, and we use public transportation in Europe. So we were able to put the little harness in his luggage and never think about it during the whole destination. If you do take a car seat, there are things that help transport them, uh, straps that can hook it onto your luggage, little wheels that go in the car seat. There are a lot of innovative products out there that make it easier for parents. If you go to somewhere like Europe, you can 
check your luggage in the airport at baggage storage and then pick it up on your flight home. So there's a lot of um, convenience, I would say, is what these products are geared towards, and that makes a big difference with a parent with small well, children. Well, being safe conveniently, you mean? Yeah. In yeah. the case of the harness. Yes, in the case of the harness, exactly. Yeah. Can you just take a little child on without any extra gear and just buckle them in like they're a, you know, a 200-pound adult? Um, you know, that's not actually safe, and it's very deceiving to parents because the airlines allow you to fly with a child under two on your lap. But if you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National uh, Safety Transportation Board, anyone who's concerned with the safety of the child will tell you that that is not a safe option. The airlines cover themselves with the small print. It's not safe. Um, a Why lot, is it not safe? Because they'd get squished if they were under your seatbelt? Right, exactly. Your weight will crush them. In fact, if you have a child on your lap, you don't want that child under the seatbelt. No, you're not allowed to put them under the seatbelt, and you don't okay. want them because you'll you'll crush them. Okay. But most parents are just holding the child, and if you think about it, we have to put everything away, our luggage, everything. You can't just scoot the child under the seat in front of you, <laughs> like I do with my laptop? Well... No. <laughs> okay. So you have to hold the child. You can't hold your laptop. No, you have to hold the child. Okay. And if you think about it, you're not even going to, for a one-hour flight, hold that child like a seatbelt would. Right. So you're on the runway. When I talk to parents, I say, if I picked you up in the car on the way to the airport and said, just hold your child in your lap, you don't need a car seat, right. they would never do it at 60 miles an hour. Right. Now we're going on the runway at 180 miles an hour without any thought of aborted takeoffs. The child is going to go flying. You can always buy an extra seat, but you want to save $1,000 by having this baby on your lap, I suppose. Do people actually hope to have an empty seat next to them uh, in, in practice, or do they actually end up holding the baby on their lap for eight hours as they fly to Europe? A lot of people hope that. And so if, if you, you have a completely packed flight, you've got the baby on your lap, there's no option. Yes. Do people do this? Yes. It's very deceiving because the airlines, when I was flying with an infant, actually discouraged me from buying a seat and said, you know what, it's free. You don't need, oh, parents do it all the time. You know what, yeah. he's going to sleep better on your lap. But now we asked for a, a bassinet and we had a bulkhead seat with a bassinet that plugged in front of us. Is that possible generally? It is, but it's not safe. If you think about it, during turbulence, you're not allowed to use that. So anything that you're not allowed to use during turbulence, takeoff, and landing really should not be used during any portion of the flight. Okay. Now, we've got kids that are 17 years old and 20 years old now, but Ann and I found that if we knew how to take advantage of what airlines offered to make the flight, if not more safe, at least more convenient and survivable for the parents and people around us, uh, it really was very helpful. What advice would you give parents that want to know what services are available to them if they know what to ask for from the airline for a long flight? Um, you know, I will definitely recommend the night flights, and you'll hear different varying opinions on that one. But the night flights allow the child, if you get them in the bedtime routine, put their pajamas on, read them books, the lights go down. Um, and then ask for toddler meals. They have those. Sometimes they have activities. But I really tell parents, you know what? Don't rely on the airline or the airport for anything more than basic transportation, and then you will not be disappointed. You need to be completely self-sufficient to cover any needs, hunger, thirst, boredom, sickness. Sickness is a big one because if you're flying over the Atlantic and your baby is teething, you know, it could be a nightmare flight, and such simple little things can prevent that. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today we're talking about traveling with kids. And uh, right now, Anya Clowers is with us. Uh, Anya is a nurse and a traveling mom. She's written a book called Jet with Kids, dealing with every issue that might confront a parent with a small child. This is mostly for small children, right? Yes. Anya? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you want to connect with Anya, she reviews products and has all sorts of practical information in an ongoing way at her website, jetwithkids.com. You can call us at 877-333-RICK or email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. We got Joyce on the line in Marlton, New Jersey. Joyce, thanks for your call. Do you have a commentary question for Anya? I have several. Oh, one, I'm having a, a big birthday. Okay, I'll say it. I'm going to be 60. And um, I'm bringing my entire family. We rented a house in Tuscany. Uh, we will be flying with a 3-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Um, how do you prevent jet lag for children? That's a great question. Kids are just like us. They are going to experience jet lag, and it's harder because they don't understand it. So one of the big things on flights is you do want to keep them hydrated. That can help right. uh, with, you know, water and non-dehydrating 
beverages. But it is difficult when you're in Europe, and that's why I recommend increase the ratio. Always have somebody who can be awake at 2 o'clock because it's hard to tell kids, you know what, you need to sleep now. That'll be me. (laughs) And, you know, you probably get strange looks. We just got back from Europe with our three-year-old, and, yeah, you know, he's awake at midnight with us, and he has a certain time during the day where he's sleeping, and we really take advantage of that to see sites that are not child-friendly and where he's Mm -hmm. in a deep sleep. So you have to adjust to the child's schedule and always have one person at least that's willing to be with them and acknowledge their needs. Okay, there's no magic pill because actually I read Rick Steves and he said that he gives them Benadryl. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I yeah. read that from I read that in one of your books. Well, yeah, and my my wife and I found that there were um, sedatives we could give the kid in the flight, you know. And I don't know what uh, Anya's a nurse. Our kids got through it. I'm I'm really into Ambien right now. When I'm <laughs> That's when I'm what dealing my with husband does. when I deal with jet lag, I I hate the thought of pharmaceutical uh, sleeping medicine unless I'm dealing with jet lag, and then I want my sleep. Let's get it from Anya here. You're the mom with the three-and-a-half-year-old and the nurse and the expert. Can you drug your kids on a flight, or can you drug your kids to help them sleep through jet lag? Drug your kids is a little harsh, but that's yeah, what we're talking. Yeah. Well, a lot of parents want to do that, and here's my caution about that. There is a paradoxical effect that can happen, and instead of sedating your child, you are going to excite them so that you now will have a hyper child. The FDA just put out a warning to kids once again. They did this back in October as well, not to give them antihistamines and things like that. And the reason is not so much the drug as parents tend to over-medicate, especially when you're taking a child up to a higher altitude. You don't know how they're going to react to things. They're going to be more dehydrated. You really don't want to have to deal with a medical emergency. I've assisted two medical emergencies on board, and as the only uh, medical personnel, I can tell you that they are very limited in what they have. And especially with pediatric doses, you really don't want to take that chance. Now, of course, there's always going to be people who medicate, you know, and that's your choice. If you do that, I just highly recommend you speak with your physician about it and try it out ahead of time. Anya, look at me in the eyes. Have you medicated your child for a flight? I have not. Wow. Very good. Uh, You said something about a harness. We're going in Italy and we're renting a car and they said that if you're uh, three years old, or I think to five years old, the child needs a car seat, and up to five feet or 12 years old, the child needs a booster seat. I mean, you said something about a harness. Would that work, or you have to uh, go by the Italian uh, road rules? Oh, yeah. You always want to follow the road rules. The harness is only for the flight. Um, There is a car seat, and I do recommend instead of booster seats, a five-point harness always for children instead of the booster seat. But there is a car seat I just tested out yesterday on the flight to Seattle. It's called the Radian, and it folds up, and it's quite compact, so it's great for travel. You sling it over your shoulder. It's heavy because it's made out of steel, but it's very safe. And so that's a good alternative for that type of travel. Okay. All well, right. thanks for your information. Enjoy. Good Have luck on your adventure. Oh, okay. With Thank lots you. of kids in Italy. Uh, Happy travels. Okay. Bye-bye. How do your kids handle foreign adventures? Any tips or cautionary tales for transatlantic toddlers? We're at 877-333-RICK, and by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. We're sharing notes on traveling with kids today on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today we're learning about traveling with little kids on airplanes, joined by Anya Clowers, who's written a book called Jet with Kids. Anya, tell me just the basics on cost, domestically and international flights with little kids. Domestically, it's going to vary by airline. So they will tell you that it's free for children under two, but that's holding them on your lap. So it is up to the parent to purchase the seat. And then there is sometimes a child discount, but actually it's off the full fare. So usually a lot of times it's better just to buy the same price that you're going to pay. Because from an airline point of view, the kid, whether they're 20 pounds or 200 pounds, they're taking up a seat. Exactly. And if you think from the airline point of view, they would rather have a business traveler in that seat. So... Right. Who's painful fare. Is this two-year-old uh, limit pretty strictly enforced? If you had a four-year-old on your lap, somebody's going to say, hey, that doesn't look like uh, any two-year-old to me. Right, and people do that. that and, right? <laughs> you know, gate agents will tell you, I, when I interviewed them for my book, that people do try to do that. And you may get away with it on the first part, but then if they ask you on the second part, you may pay full fare on the way back. So it's never worth it. Um, now, with after 9-11, they are checking more ID, so they do want you to bring a birth certificate on Really? So you have to have some proof of the child's age. Yes. And how do the uh, economics there vary from domestic to international flights? On international flights, you do have to have a ticket for each passenger, which means that even if you're holding your child on your lap, you will pay a certain percentage taxes, that type of thing. does not mean they will have a seat. Okay. And airlines internationally will let you take a baby on your lap if you want to for a 10-hour flight? Yes. That's quite amazing. I think for me, in my memory, is just how do we pass time with these kids? Give some ideas about how to pass 10 hours on an airplane ride with a two-year-old. It does keep you busy as a parent. I, I will not say that it's easy, but nothing in parenting is easy. So if you just know your children and you're one step ahead of them all the time, I don't bring novels for myself to read like I did pre-parent. It is all about my child. So that carry-on is packed as my life depends on it. And it has foods, and that's a big thing. When you're flying with little kids, don't depend on the airlines for food because my son has never eaten any airplane food. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. He's, you know, so we bring our own food, healthy snacks, and there's a variety of those that you can... So your bag is an entertainment and a food center for your child. Exactly. That's your carry-on. You can carry on a lot of stuff. Yes. So there's Tupperware and Ziploc bags full of goodies. Do you take electronic games for a tiny child like that? You know, I love the video iPod because you can put audiobooks on it and you can put music, you can put little TV shows. Uh, my son watches 24-minute episodes for $1.99. You know, I mean, it, it, it Great. has paid for itself. What's the worst example of parenting you've seen on a flight? Parents ignore their kids and they yell at them and, and, and they don't acknowledge them. So they let other people parent them, basically. Or yeah. nobody's parenting them. Nobody's parenting them. Do flight attendants say, excuse me, uh, who's the parent of this kid? When I interviewed flight attendants for my book, they said there are some parents that sit in first class and put their kids in coach. <laughs> There's a concept. That's probably the worst. Wow. Uh, how has flying with children changed in the last decade? There's a lot of negative media about flying with kids. And so I think there's always been the unruly kid, but now we're seeing it a lot more. For every unruly kid, there's a lot of kids on that plane that did great and nobody's looking at them. Whenever there's a screaming child, I mean, I have to admit, I'm glad I'm not right next to him, but I always remember... I was a screaming child once, too, and I would say anybody who's never been a screaming child can be upset, and I don't think there's very many people They can be upset, and however, my point when I talk to parents is to say, you know what, you made the decision to have the child, you made the decision to bring them on the plane, doesn't mean that everybody on the plane needs to be affected by your child. Some adults are not going to like kids, some adults don't want kids, and that's their right. I think uh, mutual respect on an airplane for the business traveler, for people that don't want kids, is the bottom line. You're a nurse, you're a mom. What's your best advice for keeping kids healthy during a flight? Washing their hands. I cannot stress that enough. Washing toddlers' hands, teaching them at a young age uh, not to put their hands in their mouth is is hard to do, but washing and bringing along uh, wipes. And why do you recommend using a travel agent uh, for arranging your flight in this day and age when so many people are just going to the web? Right. If you're not familiar with all the things, the conveniences that parents can have, you have a lot of other things to prepare for. So if you find a good travel agent that specializes in family travel, it can take a lot of stress off you. Now, did I read in your book, I think I've got a quote here that says, I never really experienced local culture as much as when we traveled with our son. Exactly. Now, I can imagine that with an older kid, but how does a little kid who can't talk and can't appreciate the bruschetta and the whatever treats there are for small children, how can a little two- or three-year-old help you connect culturally? You know, my son was um, in Austria at 18 months playing with a little Austrian boy. He was eating gelato in Rome with a little Italian girl, and it really helped us connect with parents in, in local parks. There's a lot of things that you can 
discover about culture. We found the same thing with our kids. We've traveled with our kids every year for the last 20 years. And boy, when they were little, it was a beautiful social connector. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking traveling with kids today. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com or call us at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. Now we're going to broaden the conversation a little bit by talking with a woman who's an expert at being a parent slash tour guide with kids in Rome. J.M. Pasquese has written a book called Rome with Kids, and uh, she joins us. Uh, J.M., thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Rick. Jan, before we get into uh, parenting and tour guiding young students and children in Rome, we had a great conversation with Anya about traveling with with younger kids on planes. How does uh, your experience uh, relate to that? Did you have any comments? Well, I think that Anya makes such great points in today's world, and I have to go back almost 20 years, um, and things like iPods were not available to us. So there's a lot of old-fashioned things that I can say still work today for young kids on airplanes, especially when you're going 10 or 12 hours. And something that still works, I think, that's tried and true to entertain a kid is to just get a sack of old toys that they almost never play with that are tiny little cars and things that you would almost about to throw away anyway and wrap them as if they're gifts, little teeny tiny gifts with newspaper or anything. Little kids don't care. And once every 20 minutes or half hour, they reach into the sack and they pull out a little toy, and they're so happy to see it. It's something comforting. It's something they remember, and it's something they might have forgotten about. And they're delighted for a while, and they're happily, quietly playing with a small object that, you know, if you lose it, it's not the end of the world because it wasn't their favorite toy. It doesn't cost anything to do. Um, Things like that were ways with little children that I traveled. And and the other thing is to give them a soft, plushy toy that sort of became their tattoo friend. And every city that we went to, we always took a magic marker and tattooed the name of the city on there. And it it was their pillow in, you know, in a train station or any number of things that it was comfort to them, and, and they luckily want to carry it themselves, so you have no extra burden. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and as the kids got older, it was a T-shirt, and they'd add the names of the cities to the T-shirt, and that became kind of a cool thing for them to have oh, later that's on. Fun. And, yeah. You know, simple, doesn't cost anything. Yeah. My dad and I used to have a contest where we'd have one of these old-fashioned felt Tyrolean hats, and we'd buy the little pins. And I just remember still as a little teeny bopper wanting to get pins for my hat like my dad, you know? Right, pins. And, and for little girls, uh, charms, you can find very inexpensive charms anywhere in any major city yeah. that have, you know, little coliseums or Eiffel Towers. Little girls like to collect that. And boys, for my boys, it was always keychains. They'd put them on their backpack, which would clatter like crazy, you know, when they were about 8 and 10, and have all these great gladiator hat keychains and anything that spoke to them that was inexpensive to do. And in the end, they had this terrific collection. And in fact, to this day, any of the keys that we use that are our house keys are always the papal keys, the cross keys. Hmm. We figured if it you know, let them into the Vatican, we're good here. Oh, that's a fun way to splice in your history and art uh, with there your you day-to-day go. life. Well, let's move right in then into practical uh, parenting. A lot of people spend a lot of money and go to a lot of trouble to take their kids all the way to Europe, and they do that because they love their kids and they want them to be exposed to the great culture and so on. Uh, What's your advice for having kids enjoy and learn from the art and the architecture they're going to experience in a city like Rome? Yep, that's everybody's, I think, number one concern is I'm spending all this time and money and I'm going to get there and I'm going to have wasted it because my kids are going to be bored out of their minds. As much as we love it, you know, will they or will they be bored? And my answer is always, history and art are not boring, but following and listening to a lecture is boring. Traveling with kids is how you present to them all of these terrific and wonderful things that they're going to remember forever. And you have to be active, and you have to do things like cutting to the chase. You know, you can't see the whole museum, and you can't expect to even by yourself, let alone with kids. So, you know, you keep them wanting more, as they say in show business. You go and find the best jewels of each collection, and you get in there and you show them those things, and you tell them short, brief stories that are dramatic and fun and quirky about each piece of art or the artist or, or whatever is appropriate, and, and they're happy to be there. It's when people don't have an idea of both spacing and pacing for their children that things start to unravel pretty quickly. Now, over the years, you've been uh, parenting with kids in Europe in great sites. Have you found that the different sites are being more creative putting together audio tours that are designed for kids or special kids' booklets that they can do uh, kind of artistic scavenger hunts? Or what can you take advantage of that way to complement your own creativity as a parent with kids on the road? 
Well, I think there's a ton of things. I mean, in my own book, I do that. I, everything is this kind of a scavenger hunt approach of what you can find. And, you know, don't just go to the Spanish Steps, but take a Where's Waldo picture, which is fun for them. And they're there, and you're enjoying it for other reasons. And they're running into the crowd and turning around, and you take their picture, and at home you blow it up. And they love it. You know, it's just a terrifically fun thing for them to do. We're talking with uh, J.M. Pasquese, who writes a very clever book called Rome with Kids. It's a beautifully put-together little book, and it's got little sidebars. It says, Where's Waldo? Uh, kids, have a family member blend in with the massive crowds on the Spanish steps and take a photo. Blow it up and play Where's Waldo at home, framing the photo for a great memento. See, there's a, a real cool family memory created in a not expensive way to make that trip fun and, and also keep the memory of it alive. It's really fun, and I've actually done it for kids that we take. Now that our kids are older, we'll take a, a, one of their friends with us. And so, you know, a couple weeks later, whenever I'm organized, I'll always do that, and then I'll mail it to the kid. And they're just, the parents, too, are just so delighted to have this sort of quirky element. And again, all these things are not expensive. They're just little ways to take what an adult trip is and make it super fun for kids and yourself at the same time. And, you know, I'm I'm so tuned into the practicalities of travel, you know, stretching your dollar and using your time smartly. And i got to say, when when you're traveling with kids, I mean, you're taking a huge hit economically and with what you accomplish as an adult sightseer. And it's impressive to me how many people give almost no serious thought to how to make this a plus rather than a minus with their kids. And there are resources out there. There's your book and there's books for traveling with kids in almost every great city on this planet. And you just got to be a little more industrious about getting that information and then incorporating that into your planning and into the trip itself so that having your kids abroad is not this devastating loss of experience and costly adventure, but it's uh, actually a positive thing. That's right. And to answer the second half of your question, museums themselves are coming up with great little pieces of information or new audio guides that replace the older ones that kids can listen to and um, have their sort of own experience. And then out there on the web, there are iPod guides that are maybe not quite accurate yet because there's no really great regulation for them, but they're awfully entertaining. So if a child wants to download a Coliseum guide from the web while you're doing your own thing, they might do that. You know, now, how do you find it. those, Jam? Do you, just you can sh- just go, actually, if you probably Googled iPod and Paris um, Tours. And, right, and guide, they'll find you. It will be pretty easy. There's a few of them out there now. I imagine that will be one of the newer waves for people. But yeah. um, they're pretty entertaining because they take time to edit them and put, you know, crowds of gladiator fighting in the background or whatnot. Museums do make it a lot easier. Museums, like in Rome in particular, which is why, it, to me, it's one of the better cities, is because there, there really aren't any rules still. It's a tactile environment. They can run and play and be a little more unrestrained rather than filing through you know, the P.T. Palace or museums and be on lockdown kind of mode. Yeah, that's two very different experiences for a kid to be locked down and well-behaved in a museum or to be crawling all over the ruined castle or, or whatever. Exactly. You know, i, I got to mention, we've been working very hard on our audio tours with my sort of juvenile sense of humor. I think they're great for kids, and they're also uh, very practical from a history and art point of view. We've uh, produced audio tours now that are free, available on our website at ricksteves.com, covering Rome, Florence, Venice, and Paris. And I've had a lot of feedback from parents whose kids enjoy these tours because they are a, a little bit more entertaining than some of the more staid official ones you get at the various sites. Yeah, that's terrific. It's a fun thing to produce, and a lot of people are producing these audio tours. And as Anya was saying, uh, parents are really tuned in to the the beauties of having that MP3 player, both audio and video, as they're on the road. And, I mean, you don't want to rely on a TV for a babysitter at home, but when you are on the road, a few favorite video games or MP3 distractions really are helpful from a parenting point of view. I'm talking with J.M. Pasquese, who's written a book called Rome with Kids, an insider's guide. J.M.'s website is... RomeWithKids.com. And we're talking with Anya Clowers, who's a registered nurse, and she's written a book called Jet With Kids. And Anya's website is JetWithKids.com. And we have Linda on the phone from Bend, Oregon. Hi, Linda. Thanks for your call. Uh, Thank you, Rick. Um, I had a comment. When uh, my daughter was in high school, she would tend to be jealous of what other um, friends would be doing in their travels, and we tend to be more eclectic travelers. And so I thought, since this was her senior year, and we would take, you know, that one trip you think may be the last vacation and do it as a survey of accommodations. We stayed in a top-rated beach hotel. Uh, we stayed in a house, and we stayed in a bed and breakfast. 
and they then could see why you get a much better experience being closer to the people than having um, a hotel with a lot of tourists and other travelers that weren't really engaged in what they were doing. That's a great idea. I think that's a, a good lesson, isn't it? The kids get the reality check when they're out there. You know, their whole life is bombarded by what the TV ads tell them and what their friends are doing, and and so and so can parents let them do that and so on. You get them over to Europe, and I think they really get a much better understanding of the decisions they have to make uh, that that really are going to be determined by their own character. I remember when I was traveling with my grandparents, um, I was a kid, and I didn't want to stay with them in these fancy hotels. I would stay in the youth hostel just because that's where the social scene was. And they would stay in the fancy hotel, and I'd go down the street to the youth hostel. And to this day, our kids really enjoy dropping into youth hostels because that's where all the, the youthful action is. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, Linda, thanks for the comment. Oh, you're entirely welcome. Thank you. We got an email from Elaine in Toronto, Ontario, uh, and Elaine writes, A tip for traveling with infants. We went to Paris for Christmas with a nine-month-old. Prior to leaving, I was terrified of the time zone difference and how it would ruin his sleep schedule when we returned. Uh, we decided to stay on our local time. Paris is six hours ahead of Toronto. We woke at noon, slept at 2 a.m. It allowed us to stay out late and enjoy nights without needing to keep our eye on the clock. It was a real treat, since staying out past 8 p.m. rarely happens for us nowadays. <laughs> it was funny watching people wonder why we had a baby so wide awake at midnight. Wow. What do you yeah. think, Anya? Yeah, we, we do that with our son, and it you do definitely get a different experience with your child because you are up late at night, but um, it's one of the adaptations you do with traveling with kids. So apparently this is a short Christmas trip, so they're probably going for six days or something like that, and they just decided, heck, we're going to stay on you know West Hemisphere time. I've had so much fun. Jam, you can probably relate to this with kids in Italy because there's kids out in the square playing soccer at 11 o'clock or midnight, and the parents are sitting there just watching them, and it's a great scene. That's right. These squares kind of come alive at night, and if you, especially if you have older kids, there's a lot of places that they can go that uh, they're going to find just gaggles of kids their age, which makes it really fun. And they're never ones to want to wake up early, but I do try to acclimatize them in some sense. There's reasons for why the locals move in from one to three. You don't want to be out touring when it's 110 degrees and there's no shade. You know, yeah, yeah. so there is a little bit of attention paid with older kids. If your chore is going to be to go out and be out in the streets at certain times in certain cultures. Now, I wouldn't recommend trying to stay on American time for a long trip, but if you got kids and you're going for less than a week just for yeah. a holiday, that actually that's kind of a practical tip, I would say. Sur le pont tout le monde danse, danse. Sur le pont we're taking your calls and emails about traveling with kids at 877-333-RICK and radio at ricksteves.com. Our guests are Anya Clowers, a nurse from Sacramento who writes a helpful guidebook for flying with toddlers called Jet With Kids and creates the website jetwithkidsclub.com. And J.M. Pasquese, author of Rome With Kids, an insider's guide, and a website romewithkids.com. Links to our guests' information are also found in the radio section at ricksteves.com. We're looking at practical ways to take young children with you to Europe or anywhere by plane today on Travel with Rick Steves. Our guests are two moms with piles of experience, Anya Clowers, author of Jet with Kids, and J.M. Pasquese, author of Rome with Kids. What's your experience traveling with kids? We're at 877-333-7425 and by email, radio at ricksteves.com. Bonjour, mon cher. Comment ça va? Ça bien, merci. Merci. comment comment We have Linda on the line in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Hi, Linda. Hi. Are you a parent with kids in Europe or traveling? I am. Um, we've done it, you know, a, a little bit differently. We decided when our kids were young that I would take each of the kids one at a time to Europe when they were 11 years old. So I've taken two of them now, and I have one more to go. And how has that worked? It's worked out really well because the kids have had a great time, and by going when they were 11 years old, we were able to get a lot of discounts that disappear when they're 12. One of them was on international airfare, and I, I was listening. I heard y'all talk about that earlier. I found a lot of times the people that you're dealing with buying your ticket don't realize that there is even a possibility of an international airfare discount, but we've done that, and um, 
the other thing I found is in rail stations, especially in Europe, they're great about helping you find a way for your kids to travel free on the train if they're young enough. Whenever I tried to deal with anyone buying from here, they were not aware of things like the TEE Rail Alliance family card that allows the kids to travel for free in Germany and Switzerland, which was a little bit different than the family card, the Swiss Rail family card that you can get when you have a pass. So I was able to take advantage of a lot of those discounts, but the kids could remember everything about their trips. They could carry their backpacks, and they were independent enough to go off and even do things, make little purchases and do things by themselves. So, Linda, do you find that 12 years is usually the threshold where these free options for families traveling with kids is cut off? I I do know that it's the threshold for the uh, discount on international airfare. I know there's a number of countries where you buy a family pass and then two parents buy a ticket and their kids can travel with them for free. Some of those, I think, are a little bit older, like maybe 16. Um, I'm I'm looking at my Rail Alliant, my family card that they gave me, and it doesn't tell what the age limit was for that. And your basic philosophy as a family has been take one child at a time then. Right. Why? Um, For one thing, it gives me one-on-one bonding time with each child we can really tailor the trip exactly to that child. And my husband's going to take each of them backpacking in the United States when they turn 16. So we have a a master plan so that we get to do that. And then they get to go where they want to go. For example, um, I took my son to Salzburg, and we went riding the summer rodelbahns and things. But then I took my daughter to Vienna because she really likes horses, and we went to see the riding school practice there. So we try to tailor the trips a little bit to their own interests. That makes sense. On the other hand, we've had great fun having two kids with us because just from a practical keep people happy point of view, lots of times Ann and I would want to go to a nice dinner and we'd give the kids $25 for the two of them and say, go find your pizza and your and your pop on your own and we'll see you back at the hotel. And the kids had their built-in travel partner and I found that they were very thankful to have a buddy in their generation to enjoy Europe with. I right. think that's a good point, too. You know, we had two kids that oftentimes we would want to see a very esoteric museum that we know that they wouldn't be interested in, and they were able to go sit in the hotel and have some downtime and eat some candy or do whatever they want for that hour, and mm-hmm. everybody wins. Oh, the first time we told our kids, our kids were getting on our nerves once we were in, on the Danube, and we said, you know, here, you take this money and get out of here. We're going to have a nice, quiet dinner where we have some good conversation and not be so negative and complaining. Mm-hmm. And they looked at us like, what? You're going to put us out on our own? <laughs> we got to <laughs> find a meal that we can afford. We can't complain to anybody. And we said, we'll see you back at the hotel. And, uh, you know, they were old enough and it was a little town with no traffic. It was very reasonable for them to do. And they had an adventure on their own. And yeah. we were a little nervous to do that, but we said, get out of here. We're going to see you after dessert, okay? And it was a great evening for the parents and a great experience for the kids. And it also taught them a little bit about the reality of keeping a positive attitude and uh, the economics of being on the road. Yeah, it's so and so memorable for them. Yeah. Hey, Linda, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, and when I think about it, it is fun giving these kids responsibility. I, I like to give the kids each a money belt. Uh, we have a philosophy where it's a spurge for mom and dad, so we're going to bump up their allowance, uh, but it's going to come with a few strings attached. Yeah. They need to buy their own goodies. They need to keep a journal. That was one of the preconditions. I think it's very important to get these kids to be enthusiastic about their journal somehow. How we do that, I don't know, but it's always a treasure when they get home and a good yeah. experience. We, we have the same thing. In fact, a couple of the illustrations in my book are from the boys when they were four or five years old, because before they could write, that was kind of the directive, was if you're not old enough to write a paragraph, every night I would make them write. If you're not old enough to write a paragraph, draw a picture of what you saw today that made the biggest impact on you or that you love the most or anything. Boy, I think and that is so important, yeah. It's just to, they even look back at them now and it's just the most terrific thing for them. And it, of course, it sparks a bunch of memories. If our house was burning down, I think one of the things I'd grab to get out of there would be my little box where I keep all the postcards my parents had me write. As a journal, when I was 14 years old on my first trip in Europe, every day I would buy a postcard of my favorite place, and on the back I would sort of account everything that we did. And, boy, what a treasure to have that. And that took parental guidance. It does. You have to sort of be vigilant. And maybe you can relax. You know, when they were young, I would say, just pick one thing. Right. You know, and then, of course, as they got older, but... I have one page which is my favorite of the older son saying, I think he's in the tower, Dante's Tower in Bologna, 
and he, he wrote, I'm sitting up in the tower, and I was promised gelato, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, kids are promised a lot of gelato. That's <laughs> we promised our kids Euro Disney in Paris. <laughs> Well, you know, that's better than it is. Don't tell you know, my kids. Yeah, that was the end of our trip. And, you know, I thought, well, we got to go to Disneyland sometime. I'm not going to be big into that. And I thought, if I'm going to go to Disneyland, I'd rather do it in Paris. Oh, and my gosh. It, and it was actually fun. And it really was a good incentive for those kids if we ever had to remind them that, oh, I hope we can make sure we can get out to Disneyland. Hey, J.M., when you're with kids in Rome, how do your kids like the uh, passeggiato or the struccio when everybody is out strolling and all the teenagers are making the scene and it's sort of a fashion show and the Vespas and the hustling that goes on? Mm-hmm, little telefonini that everyone has. Um, they love it. And we have a course that we plotted when they were just around 13 and 15 that would allow them to walk up pretty much on a pedestrian-only street all the way, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but from the Trevi to the Pantheon and onward to Piazza Navona. And you're constantly with groups and groups of people and kids stopping in each of those three piazzas. You could add Despagna, but to keep things simple for them when they were younger, they could go by themselves and sort of stop and get gelato and meet up with these groups. And um, So as parents with 15-year-olds or whatever, you said, okay, this is okay for you guys uh, after dark if you stick to this route. This is the area, and I know that until 3 in the morning, that is never going to be an area where they're going to find themselves alone or isolated. I believe they've made uh, that a pedestrian walkway now, actually, from Trevi Trevi to the Pantheon to the Piazza Navona. It's just happened over the last couple of years, and it's just a beautiful evening thing, and it does make sense to make that the okay zone for the kids because they're certainly going to find plenty of action out there during that time, but it's going to be, as you said, well-populated and a safe area. Debbie, thanks for calling us from Shreveport, Louisiana. Hi, Rick. Hi there. Got any thoughts on parenting in Europe with kids? Well, um, it's a crazy place. <laughs> but we, we had a great time. My biggest concern was the trip up there and home. I have a really tall 15-year-old, and she was just miserable in the coach section. Do you have any suggestions on how I could make her next trip better? Because she was miserable because she was tall? She's so tall, there was no leg room for her. Hmm. And the lady in front of her laid back the whole way home. It was 10 hours, and she was she's 5 foot 10. Well, Anya Clowers knows about traveling with little kids. Anya, what would you suggest for somebody who's got a big child trying to be comfortable on an airplane? I would recommend definitely getting your seat assignments ahead of time, putting a request in with the airlines, um, noting that, that the child is very tall. Also, when you get to the airport, try to get bulkhead seats for them. Definitely get an aisle row so they can at least put their legs out in the aisle a little bit um, towards the back so they're not blocking traffic. But having her getting up walking around is important for everybody, actually, to prevent blood clots. But that can help. All right, Debbie, good luck on that. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking Travel with Kids today. I'm joined by Anya Clowers, who's written a book called Jet with Kids, and J.M. Pasquese, who's written Rome with Kids. They each have a very helpful website, uh, jetwithkids.com or romewithkids.com. J.M., the dollar's not where we'd like it to be, especially in Italy, in the big cities. It's quite expensive. What are your tips for parents managing on a, on a budget? Well, I think it's something that is so important right now because it is uh, sometimes even a turnoff for people when you're talking about four or even six family members or more. There are two great ways to save money in Italy, especially in Rome, and that is you can eat and run. The quality of food is not uh, conditional upon the price of food in Europe, so you can eat really well and really excellently for not a lot of money. You can you know, go to the Tiber Island or... Um, Go to Circus Maximus and bring some bread and cheese and some fruit that you can send your child into the local store and buy themselves and then take it out to and eat among the ruins. Um, no child likes to eat in a restaurant three times a day, so if you can take a child and have them walk up and try sample some of the pizza or gelato or some bread and cheese, they're so happy not to be confined to maybe a, their third restaurant experience in a day, and you save tons of money. And also, the more people you pack into a hotel room, the cheaper it gets. I mean, It does. Luckily, in Italy in general, there are apartments where you get twice the space for half the money, literally, and you're able to stay closer in town. You're all able to stay together. Does an um, apartment require a week-long rental? No, it doesn't. Often they do require three days or more. Right. Some of them may. But three days is pretty reasonable if you're sure. there. 
And you can bring half the clothes, and you've got a washing machine, and you'll get to learn how to line dry things. And even if you're just going from hotel to hotel, Italy in particular, well, all over Europe you can find a triple or a quad. And if they don't have a quad, you can get a triple and ask for an extra bed or let one kid uh, sack out on the floor, and you'll save a lot of money. I remember the day when we finally divided our family up, the four of us, into two doubles, and the kids got old enough where we needed to do that. But until then, it was a lot less expensive to have four people in one room. And and certainly doable. We have Brian on the line in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, Brian. Thanks for your call. Hey, Rick. Thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah. My question is, I've really gotten a travel bug lately, and I've been trying to convince my wife that we should go to Europe soon, and we have a four-year-old daughter. So I've been trying to figure out creatively how can I convince my wife that this is the right thing to do. And as I go out to our playgrounds in our area here in Charlotte and have traveled up and down the East Coast, I just find that more and more the playgrounds are generic and they all look the same. And then I happened to kind of thumb through a book a while back and just saw some playgrounds and play areas that are over in Europe. And I guess my question is if I can theme my, my trip around our adult things, but then also around some interesting creative playgrounds and play spaces and things like that over in Europe, I was just wondering if you had any tips on places that would kind of fulfill that need, that, that theme of playground. All right. Anya, do you have any ideas for uh, creative playgrounds for little kids in Europe? Yes, we just got back from Europe with our three-and-a-half-year-old, and one of our favorite places was Heidelberg, Germany. I find that the Europeans just value children incredibly. They have quality toys. They really acknowledge kids' needs. And so pretty much I find that wherever we go, they have great parks and really great things for kids to play with and just acknowledge their needs. I've incorporated that even with sightseeing. In Paris, you go out to the Montmartre Museum, which is a, f- a little bit of a trek outside of town to see the beautiful Monet paintings. And just outside is a park that was just as enjoyable as the museum itself, especially if you have kids. And it's a chance to get your kids on the carousel with local kids. Sounds terrific. J.M., any thoughts on that? I think you're right. You're onto something really fun. And I think things like the Tuileries Park, which is right across from the Louvre Museum, thing that Rick is saying, you can go and see the museum and whatever pieces are interesting to you. But then if you walk across the street into the Tuileries, they actually have in-ground kind of jumping pads. I think you pay a euro or something, and for 15 minutes, your child could jump like crazy out there, and it's gorgeous, and the rest of the park unfolds from there. But there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful things directly attached to great sites for the parents. In Castel San Angelo in Rome, the old moat is now a playground. So you can actually go see that museum or St. Peter's, which is in the vicinity of that, and then have your child go to that playground. One thing i got to say, just thumbing through J.M.'s book, Rome with Kids, uh, it reminds me there are great and creative books written by parents just for the love of parenting with kids in Europe. I know from my experience that there are good, similar kids' guides for destinations all over the world, from Sydney to Beijing and Tokyo to Washington, D.C., London, and Paris. Uh, Brian, I bet if you got some of these books to the destinations you're thinking about and shared it with your wife, she might realize that, oh, this can be a lot of fun for the entire family. J.M., any thoughts on that, please? Well, I think that that's right. Everybody today is so web-savvy that it's very easy for you to go to the computer and with just a little bit of input be able to find these books for the particular cities that you're looking for. And, in fact, most of these books tend to be very slight because they're so particular to kids. And so they actually become kind of great mementos in themselves when you move beyond that. You've got a little collection of where they traveled. All right. Hey, Brian, I think that's a great idea is to get some of these books to let your wife know that parents have done this and they've survived. Thank you, and I appreciate all the help. All right. Good luck. Whitney's on the phone in Crystal, Minnesota. Hi, Rick. Hey, Whitney, you sound like a traveling parent. (laughs) Yeah. Um... My husband and I have gone to Europe uh, twice now, um, two, twice without our son right now. We were just wondering um, about what age is a good age to bring him. Right about now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, about how long. Well, so what's the best age and how long was it? Yeah. Well, um, my experience, I'll tell you, it was relatively easy at eight months. Really Mm -hmm. difficult at a year and a half and two and a half, and then it got progressively easier after that. That was just my own personal experience. Uh, Anya, what is your thought? 
Yeah, we went at one and a half, two and a half, and three and a half, and it's a different experience every time. But when before they're walking is actually a great time. Um, and then you just adapt from there on. You know your kids best, and you just every trip is different, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of that background noise in your trip. But, hey, you know what? There's parents all over the world, that, and they understand. That's a beautiful point right there. There's parents all over the world, mm-hmm. and they understand. <laughs> Yeah, we had actually taken him to Alaska at five months, and that was perfect. But now that he's walking around, it's a little more difficult for him. So, Yeah, that's that but, was what we experienced, too. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get to an age where they're um, sneaking away from dinner and they're back in the kitchen with the cooks being given yeah. all these special little uh, <laughs> sweets, and, and you realize they're having their own adventure. And they're right. broadening their perspective, and they're no longer afraid of people who are different. And they've got appetites for um, exotic foods that other kids would never touch. And pretty mm-hmm. soon you realize you've raised a kid with a broad perspective. Yeah, and that's what we really want to show our children, you know, that there's more to life than just, like, our American way or whatever, you know, so... I, I recommend to parents, my son is in an Italian preschool class, and just learning basic words, hello, goodbye, thank mm-hmm. you, please, um, that makes a big difference to locals. And they love it yeah, when an, yeah. a two-year-old is saying that. And my son says goodbye, you know, in German, it, Italian, English, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, yep. and they have a lot more, um, uh, they understand that things are not, like you said, th- this is not the only way to do things. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Thank you for taking my call. Whitney, good luck. Thank you. Happy travels for your whole family. <laughs> thank you. Yep. All right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, we've been exploring the options and learning from the people who have learned from the School of Hard Knocks how to travel smartly and happily with the kids. We've been joined by J.M. Pasquese, who writes Rome with Kids. J.M.'s website is romewithkids.com. And we've been joined by Anya Clowers, who writes Jet with Kids. And Anya's website is jetwithkids.com. J.M., thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me so much, and thanks to all those parents who take their kids out there and make them global individuals. Great. And Anya, thank you very much for your work and for joining us. Thank you. And I think the biggest thing for parents is just to realize the flight is not something to be terrified of, but can be a great part of the vacation. Anya and Jam, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Rick. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback and archived audio on demand. It's in the radio section of our website at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. 